Coming to you live from the Morningstar Mission Sponsored Studios, this is Carl and Crew Mornings on 90.1 FM Moody Radio. Well, welcome aboard, guys. Uh, we're talking all week about dilemmas that we're facing. By the way, Thursday, I'm excited for I'm going to be talking about wayward kids. A lot of you are wondering, what do I do? What do I do? What do I say? When am I pressing too much? When am I being kind of coddling to a point where I'm actually leading them down a, a primrose path to destruction? Those are good questions. Absolutely. And we want to deal honestly with that. Thursday is going to be a big day here. And by the way, tomorrow, let me identify this. Big rollout at 635 and 835. Allie has got a feature that we're going to have anchored in those slots. Young Thunder, how fired up are we? Super fired up. <laughs> are you, though? Yeah, uh, we are. Sometimes I am. I am. I would say, for me, probably about Two-thirds of the time, I'm fired up, Allie. Two-thirds of those times. You like numbers. You like data. There yep. you got it, Allie. I'm going to be telling some <laughs> jokes on Wednesdays for a new segment. We'll tell you about it. But it's coming tomorrow at 635 and 835. You got to be here. Be great. If you were up praying and fasting before that segment. <laughs> Get a prayer crew ready for Allie's feature. For my jokes. I might need it. Sometimes she gets on the edge. A little bit. Oh, I had, uh, I had a, a guy. Oh, shoot. Should I say this? Let me try it. I'm a horrible joke. Oh, teller. you're gonna give you're gonna give a joke. I'm wow. trying to do it really quick. Uh, so a friend of mine, Duncan Sprague, he read it off his phone. His wife and son that are his son's going to the mission field. Ben Sprague was a student here at Moody. Anyway, they were at our home Saturday night, and he said, "I got a dad joke." And he pulls out his phone. His son says, "You have to read it off of a phone." <laughs> <laughs> that kind of ruins it from the jump, but that's Just okay. Just a little bit. So the question is. Why did the bald guy hold on to that comb so hard? Hmm. Why? He just couldn't part with it. <laughs> I like that. I like that. That's, That's pretty cute. good. That's, That's pretty a good. good I like that. I thought that was pretty good. Was I didn't good. tell it exactly right. That's pretty good. I liked oh. it, though. I liked it. Oh, I'm trying. I am not good at joke telling, well, man. I'm not either, but I still Yeah, you're go really for it. good at I it. still go for Mainly it. Mainly because Allie, she'll just blow right through any maybe marginal response, and she just starts oh, yeah. cracking that's, up. That's it's why true. this segment is going to be called... Allie thinks it's funny. Coming at you tomorrow. Okay, we're going to play a game coming up. Okay. What do I need to know about you that I don't already know? Ah. About, about me? Yeah, and about you, Young Thunder. Okay. What do I need to know? Hmm. What do you need to that know? That I don't know. That... Shaped you significantly. Ooh. There's a reason for this, and it's because we got to get into the deep end of the pool. It's one thing to have conversations with friends, it's another thing to kind of mine a person's soul, as it were. Not for the purpose of exploiting, but for the purpose of understanding. And Boom Crew, I'm sure you've had this, and if you haven't, you need to begin to master the art of understanding people at a deep level. It's an awesome thing. When you kind of peel back the veneer and you begin to hear someone's heart. Remember I had a native Alaskan friend in Alaska, uh, when I was up there who was a, a sweet, sweet time sitting around. His name's Walter. We're sitting around in this facilitated group. Dan Allender was facilitating a lecture up there. Okay. And his whole deal is about getting to the heart of people. And 
at one point in this discussion, we had these little red hearts and you were to put them on the, the knee of someone sitting in a chair somewhere in that circle that you wanted to share a piece of your story with that person so that they could understand you more and everyone else could listen in. And Walter put a red heart on my knee. And he began to pour out his heart about what it was like being raised in a village in Alaska then when alcohol came to it. And the pain of abuse. I'd known Walter for a long time, but I didn't know that part of him. Mm -hmm. It forever changed the way I saw Walter. There were a lot of tears that day. And it was awesome. And there's something about going into the deep end with someone when you start to understand them in a new way that you go, oh, oh my goodness. And I'm not saying that it even necessarily justifies behavior or none of that stuff. But it explains behavior, proclivities, convictions, right? Good, bad, or indifferent, mm -hmm. you begin to see things differently. So coming up here in a couple of minutes, I'm not going to put a red heart on your knee, guys. Okay, sure. But I am asking you to give me your heart here for a second. We're going to okay. do something really fun. What do I need to know about you that I don't know? Mm -hmm. We're going to let the Boom Crew listen in in a couple of minutes. Your spiritual pit stop to keep you going in the race. We're Carl and Crew Mornings. I think one of the coolest things that I enjoy is hearing people's stories. I really do, guys. It's one of the great thrills and joys of my life. It really is. And when we begin to understand people at a, at a deep level, you start to appreciate differences, uniqueness. The body of Christ is stronger when we know each other more deeply. It just is. So we're going to just go for it here. What do I need to know about you that I don't know? Young Thunder, I'm going to ask you to go first. Sure. Let's see how this goes for, yeah. <laughs> for Young Thunder here. Um, something you may not know about me that is good to know is that when I was young, I struggled with not being seen. Uh, I was the small kid. I was the scrawny kid, the late bloomer, uh, the unpopular one for a good portion of my childhood. And especially through those formative years, you know, where kids start to get bigger and uh, Jonathan wasn't joining them. Um, and that was hard. I bet it was. That was really hard, especially in those formative years. And it surprises me how much that sticks with me today as a full-grown adult. How's that look? It looks in, it comes out in an unhealthy desire to be noticed, hmm. to be seen. I have an easily bruised ego. I desire to an unhealthy amount to impress people. And that can come to my detriment. And I think that it probably comes from those years where I felt unseen, where I wanted to be noticed by people but wasn't. And I think this year, like, you know, making up for it years now. I wish I could go back to those unseen years. Yeah. Knowing what I just heard. Yeah. I'd see you, man. <laughs> 
And you know, I just want to take this to affirm you and not assuage those feelings for sure. sure. But I got to tell you, Young Thunder, God has so gifted you with the gift of synthesized communication and teaching. It's just that. an awesome thing. I appreciate that. And although you might not have been seen back then, you are heard now. I know the Boom Crew loves you big time, yeah. bro. Yeah. That goes without saying. I appreciate it. But that's cool for me to know. Yeah. I did not know that yeah, about you. And absolutely. that it's amazing how that childhood stuff can drive us, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so many things that, you know, it you have to learn how to move on from because they can hold you back into those places that just aren't for you. It must be good for you to even articulate that because it it's good. good to know that and to kind of camp there because when we have, when we're reacting to things in life mm -hmm. and we don't know the origins of it or we're unwilling to really acknowledge, oh, this is driven by that. Yeah. Absolutely. And it is, it's good to talk about. It's good to be open about with people you can trust because, uh, I mean, there are times where, you know, maybe I've looked back on situations, whether it's with work or it's in my personal life, where I have noticed myself become unnecessarily upset about something. And it's like, well, why are you so mad about this? And it's because I don't feel seen. Yeah. And I am seen, but I don't feel seen. And so that that little bit of underdeveloped portion of me starts to come back out and starts to get me upset. And I start to react a certain way, like I said, a bruised ego. And it's because I want to be seen. The fact that the Holy Spirit and the loving God has revealed that to you, but now you have a brand new identity. Mm -hmm. To be able to wow. take that to him and take care of it. Yeah. That's so cool. It is. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Thank you for that. Yeah, thank you for it's listening. It's really cool. It's really cool. I love you, hot dog. You're a good man. You too, guys. Coming up here in a minute and a half, we're going to go to Allie. Oh, man. <laughs> that was... That was sweet, huh? That was really sweet. If you want to share your, like, you know, the the love for hot dogs that we didn't know you had or something like that, it's totally fine. <laughs> You're too. welcome to. Hang on. Okay. Allie's coming up. Boom Crew. Celebrate what God is doing in you. This is Carl and Crew Mornings. Yeah, we're celebrating what God's doing in us. You know, one of the dilemmas that we face today, even in the church, is that we think we know people and then we realize, oh, man, I, I, didn't, I didn't know you. And sometimes what we have to do is get out of the shallow end of the pool, go into the deep end, and just go, tell me something about you that I need to know that you maybe aren't want to share all the time. Young Thunder just did that, so I'm going to pitch it to you, Allie. What do I need to know about you that I don't know? Um, you know, mine is actually kind of similar to Young Thunder, the second oldest in a family of with four kids. So I'm sandwiched between two very, very outgoing, dynamic, high achieving, high achieving sisters who particularly my older sister, who I always felt like I was chasing after and not in a competitive way, but like in my mind, she was the most incredible thing in the world. And I was kind of the distant second. And I think from an early age, I was very, very self-critical in a way that was not healthy. So very, very quiet 
I was a super quiet kid, which now I'm in radio, which is kind of a surprising turn for <laughs> someone who, you know, was nervous to raise their hand in class because I was just a really shy, quiet kid, but internally very self-critical. So, so much of the, I guess, you know, I don't want to talk about voices in your head, but so much of that, the self-talk the, was, was so negative. So you beat yourself up constantly, constantly. And so the, the kind of how that can still rear its ugly head, even as an adult is there's this diff, sometimes a struggle to really believe that God really actually loves me because I see my flaws so clearly You've been trained to. I've been trained to. So I'm like, if there is a if there is a weakness, if there is a flaw, it's more than self-awareness. I, I see it magnified times 10. And I think a lot of people, particularly women, struggle with that. Um, but yeah, that's that that struggle to 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 know that God knows and sees all of it, flaws and everything, but still loves me has been a, a one that sometimes still struggle to really let that penetrate my soul. Two things. One is thanks, because I did not know the depths of that. Sure. That's really cool. Second is, it must be amazing to hear the voice of God meet you when you're, when you're going there. Yeah. And it, that must be amazing to hear a loving God speak over you words of, you're my kid. And, and it's, sometimes it's just hard to let them, you know, sometimes you can believe things for other people. <laughs> But not yourself. <laughs> really easily. God loves you. <laughs> then you're like, okay, take take that for yourself. Not as not as easy. That makes you so relatable, Allie. It does. Because look, generally speaking, we live in a world that's beating us down. But when when you find yourself pinned in that birth order that you were in, mm-hmm. and then and Allie's big sis is a high achiever. She's a goer. She's incredible. She's incredible. One of my best woman. friends in the world. And and the Lord has helped me to find my own, to stop trying to follow in her path. And the Lord finally kind of put me on my own path. Like, here, what, this is what I have for you. Yeah, and I'm not going your dad on you here, but I want to illustrate it just by saying that Allie's sister was Miss America a number of years ago. Miss America. And I remember when your sister won that. Mm-hmm. And I was... Uh, 20 years from knowing you, even yeah. meeting you. Yeah, it was uh, 20, exactly 20 years ago. This is the 20th anniversary. Oh, it of was her. 20 years ago. Exactly 20 years ago this year. She was Miss America 2003. Wow. And I remember what a big deal that was. I remember thinking, wow, it's an extraordinary woman. And that was your big sister. Yeah. That was it, your big sister. Thank you. That is awesome, Allie. And I got to tell you, sister, from the bottom of my heart, my wife and I talk about it a lot. Don't you dare take this and run with it. But <laughs> oh, boy. You, uh, you Trust bring, me, I won't. <laughs> you, you bring uh, good balance to your friend, Carl, sometimes when, when it's really at that critical juncture. It's, it's a blessing. It's pretty cool. It's so good to know and be known, isn't it? Yeah. Something healthy about it. Would you do this, Boom Crew, today? Would you be a person that just asked one person today, tell me something I need to know about you that I don't know? Just that one little exercise might be unbelievable. 
Coming to you live from the Morningstar Mission Sponsored Studios, this is Carl and Crew Mornings on 90.1 FM Moody Radio. All right, guys, uh, talking dilemmas all week long. And if you're watching any news at all, you understand what's going on globally. Uh, London has enormous amounts of protests going on in the streets. That is more than just... um, more than just as we should all have sympathy for the Palestinians who are innocents that are getting gobbled up in this mess in the Gaza Strip. I mean, it's a horrible thing. It's a real dilemma. Think about this from a, from a tactical, strategic approach. Israel's in a pickle. They're armed to the teeth as a nation, never to be an aggressor, just to defend their homeland. Now they find themselves in the unenviable position of trying to root out the Hamas and deal with missiles coming in from the Hezbollah, Syria. Iran has its fingers all over it. It's a very difficult situation, guys. Imagine if you were a person that wanted to be humanitarian and at the same time you got to root these guys out. Because, listen, I did a deep dive last night on some of the atrocities attached to this incursion, terrorist incursion that happened on the 7th of October. It's so, it's so beyond ugly, it's hard to even imagine. You got the president of Harvard that spoke up yesterday. We got an, just a, let me just vamp here like friends for a little bit, boom crew. So you've got college campuses that have had safe places prepared for people to go if they felt triggered by a discussion about, let's just say, there are only two genders. But these same groups of people are now going rabid dog, and I'm not, that's frothing at the mouth, rabid dog in their hatred for Jewish people. There have been um, accounts that have been littered with calls at Cornell to murder Jewish people, to take them out, quote, slit their throats. The interesting thing about this is that there's a consciousness that is coming back to some people that otherwise didn't have it. There's a sense of, where have we gone? What have we done? Because this isn't just one or two people. There are uprisings on college campuses that are taking on a new form. This is way different than protesting Vietnam. This is calling for the blood of people because of their nationality. It's horrific, guys. We've got these protests in the streets of Chicago. And so we've got this dilemma because you want to be a person that is for immigrants. I'm not talking about for immigration. I'm just talking about You want to care for innocent people. And as Christ followers, we need to have the love of Jesus for all people in all places at all times. Apostle Paul called us to pray for all the saints on all occasions and to pray for peace. We're called to do this over and over again. And in so much as we are able, we are to live at peace with all men, all men. And yet you have this issue of public safety. I mean, we've got, uh, I come from a, My ancestors come from a country in Sweden 
that opened wide its doors for immigration. But now there are no-go zones in Stockholm where police can't even go because there is a group of immigrants that so loathe the values of Sweden and so hold up, in this case, Sharia law, that it's become untenable for police officers to even to even safely go into those areas. They're now in Sweden spending $30,000 a head asking people that want to go back to their countries are willing to pay them money to leave and try to leave in peace. Well, all over Europe, you've got this. It's the result of an of a immigration plan that opened wide the doors for people to come in, but yet didn't subscribe to their values of their land that they invited them into. It's a real dilemma that we have, and we have it here in Chicagoland. I mean, we've got a lot of challenges. We don't know who's come across our borders exactly. And you need to know something. I am massive pro-immigration. I actually believe from a pure economic standpoint, if we don't have more immigrants, we're going we're gonna to have a GDP problem. We're going to have, you, you can't generate the kind of income you need to even sustain a culture after a certain period of time. This is what China has right now. China's got an upside down pyramid with all the older people in this huge bandwidth at the top, and it's unsustainable. All economists agree that the economy in China is totally unsustainable because they don't have enough children that were born to keep these older folks alive, and the older folks are living a long time. Globally, we have an interesting thing going on here. And then on top of all of this, you've got Israel at the epicenter of all this anger and hatred and vehemence. We live in an interesting day. And one of the great dangers in the dilemma is that we start putting all people into a certain category. And those categories are friends or enemies, right? Yeah. But it's not that simple, is it, Allie? No, not at all. It's not that simple. So we need to pray for incredible amount of wisdom. And we need to have the heart of Christ big time as we go forward here. I look at what's going on in our world, and I'm usually a guy that has some pretty good, I think, biblical answers for how do we address these mm-hmm. things. I don't know that I have answers for this. We've got real challenges in our world today, and we need to appeal to God for sure that he can give us wisdom in this thing. To rightly discern, to rightly form not just knee-jerk opinions on things based on an aggregate of maybe what we see on the news or, or what we believe certain people say or don't say, but real biblical discernment that helps me look at a situation that's very complicated and go, Lord, what am I supposed to think here? Yeah. How, how should I respond? What What is right in this? Yeah. What is right and what is wrong and help me to discern? And then some things don't even make the news that are wrong. When you've got people tearing down, and this is not one-off, when you've got people tearing down maliciously, compassionate postings, appealing for prayers for those that are held hostage, for which now even our own State Department, uh, the Biden administration is now saying that there are 300-plus residents, American residents in Gaza, that are now not being allowed to leave, that have been in Gaza. 
for a long period of time. And Jake Sullivan actually came out last night and said, we're counting the hostages that are kind of hard hostages, as it were, but they're soft hostages as well that yeah. are now numbering, probably add another 300 plus to that. You got a super dicey situation going on. And all this to say, so what's the, d- the dilemma? The dilemma here is that it is a Holy Spirit thing that will allow us to weed through, wade through the weeds of everything that's cropping up, the good, bad, and the ugly, and allow us to say, Lord, this is how we must respond to this. So you want, you want justice? Um, you, you know, we live in a country with free speech, Allie. Yeah. And as much as we might hate hate speech, I need to tell you something. I am a big believer that hate speech should be allowed to go yeah. forward. Mm-hmm. You have to let it happen. Now, when there's threats, and as we saw in Cornell yesterday, boy, when there's, th- when there's threats to Jewish people, and the irony here is this mindset that has provided safe space for anyone that's triggered for holding for uh, uh, triggered and needing a safe space when they're hearing something, someone hold court on just a debate regarding nuclear family or what constitutes family. And yet now we've swung to, we can openly denigrate an entire nationality of people. It's a bizarre world that we live in. And what, what do I write this off to? This is demonic. This, this is demonic. This is out of the pit of hell, man. And it intends to injure and harm, and no one wins with this. So the real question is, how are we going to be a voice of, of reason and calm? And coming up here in just about a minute and a half, we've got a guest with us today that's going to help us look at a cultural issue through a very different lens. Yeah, he is a super smart guy. I'll just put it that way. You'll hear for yourself in a minute. But he has really examining a big critical dilemma that we see all over the place. Yeah, it's a big one. So we're going to wade into it. What in the world is intersectionality? What in the world are all these words that we use like woke and all that? What's going on? And boy, having an expert is a good thing, isn't it? A great thing. Hang on. Whether it's number one or 100, Take that step with Jesus today. You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings. I think it was five years ago. I think I was trying to flex some of my usefulness somehow. And I used the word woke in a sentence. Okay. And you and one of our other team members here just laughed your head off at me. Because it was a term that was, it was so new and it was being used by a lot of people and starting to be used a lot in pop culture that it was... It was kind of cool. It's like, oh, the word woke. But boy, things have changed. And I mean, radically. And a lot of these words, we don't even know what they really mean anymore. Yeah. So we're going to be diving into this a little bit with a special guest. His name is Dr. Dr. Patrick Sawyer. He's got a book out. It's called Critical Dilemma, The Rise of Critical Theories and Social Justice Ideology, Implications for the Church and Society. Let's start with this word Woke. I got to be honest with you. It's a word that I have come to loathe because it seems to mean nothing and everything all at once. What do you mean when you use the word woke, Dr. Sawyer? Yeah, that's a great question, Allie. 
And you're getting at something pretty uh, quickly here, that words are on the move. Any linguist would tell you that the meaning of words change over time. And that certainly has happened with the word woke. Woke used to mean a kind of liberatory consciousness of, of people of color, that uh, someone who's black or a person of color comes to an understanding that, hey, I'm living in a white majoritarian culture. There's certain rules and regulations in terms of how this culture is comported, and it's driven by white majoritarianism, and I need to be hip to that. I need to understand. I, I need to wake up and understand how society is being comported in a white majoritarian context. And so if a black person becomes woke, that means they become hip to that understanding. And that used to mean, that used to be what that word, what the word woke means. Now, today, in scholarship, in the academy, the word woke has been front-loaded and onboarded with all kinds of things connected to critical social theory, connected to critical race theory, connected to queer theory, connected to feminist theory. All these ideas have been onboarded into that term woke. And in fact, peer-reviewed journal articles speak of the term woke and then layer in all those ideas from those knowledge areas. So today, since that term has been loaded that way, it is often weaponized in discussion and so forth, you know, getting at to what you just mentioned. Dr. Pat Sawyer, again, is our guest, and he's the co-author of a brand new book called Critical Dilemma, The Rise of Critical Theories and Social Justice Ideology, Implications for the Church and Society. I want to go back to that word woke here and just say this. Having worked with middle school boys on the south side of Chicago, okay. I want to tell you, bro, uh, there's some health in being awakened to the fact that there are differences in this world for different groups of people. You wouldn't argue that point, would you? Oh, no, Ryan, that's correct. Sure. So where did we get off base and how is how are we missing it? And what are you trying to illuminate with your work, Patrick? Well, back to what you're saying there, certainly it is important if you are a minoritized group to have kind of a critical consciousness in terms of what is happening in society. No doubt in terms of how power works, how cultural and societal power is manifested and reified, that is certainly important for uh, groups that are in a minoritized position to understand. Our work is, the book Critical Dilemma, is concerned about how critical social theories have impacted the church and larger society in negative ways. And so our book is unpacking critical theory, and then from there, critical social theory and the various critical theories that are involved in critical social theory. We're taking the high points in terms of what those theories are saying in terms of the greatest effect that is happening from those theories in culture today and in the church. And then we're coalescing those ideas in a way that, that are digestible for the layperson. And it is our hope to unpack how critical social theory is flawed and off. And then we also honor how critical social theory gets certain things right. And then along the way, Carl, we are doing some things that are adjacent to this project. We, for instance, have a three-part plan for racial healing and racial unity in the United States, beginning with awareness and contemplation and then action. And so we're concerned about pushing back against racism. We're also concerned about understanding how guilt 
should be manifested and thought about collective guilt. Uh, we, for the church, we, we say strongly that people are not guilty of sins that they didn't actually commit. So how do we think about the fact of the legacy of white supremacy and slavery and Jim Crow and its impact today? How do we think about that correctly and rightly? So what you mentioned, the negative impact uh, that you're unpacking a little bit, the negative impact on the church. Uh, What do you see as the negative impact of some of these critical theories on the church today? Well, that's a a great question, Ali. One of the things that I would say up front is that critical social theory tries to divide society into oppressors and the oppressed. This social binary is a heavy template in terms of understanding and seeing society from that standpoint. And that will wreak havoc on Christian unity in the church if that type of template is layered onto a church. And so part of our concern in this book is to help people think rightly about uh, oppression and uh, oppressive conditions, but then not onboard perspectives of critical social theory that are actually flawed and spurious that are not actually accurate and will actually do more harm than good. And so that's that's part of our campaign here. Another thing, uh, not speaking so um, from a macro standpoint or academically, if we think of something that's manifested on the ground in churches, we notice that certain churches, evangelical churches, are becoming gay-affirming or queer-affirming. And so what they have done is they've taken a look at the LGBTQIA plus community and certain oppressions that have been given towards that community in history and in time, and then going from there and making a rhetorical move to, well, now we need to care about the gay community in ways that now work against sexual ethics biblically. We obviously obviously should love and care for the gay community, but we can't do that by onboarding uh, homosexual or queer perspective into the church. We've got to figure out how to love that community while keeping God's sexual ethics in play. And the church has been confused about that on some level, and that's why certain churches are moving towards a gay-affirming posture, which is deleterious for the health of the church. Powerful stuff. Dr. Patrick Sawyer is with us here. The book is called Critical Dilemma, The Rise of Critical Theories and Social Justice Ideology, Implications for the Church and Society. Coming up, Patrick, I want to tackle this one because there is a sense of in the church today. Oh, my goodness. Look at the injustice that's been done. And the question I would have as a pastor is, how do you address this? Do you address it? Or do you just a general invite, let's all meet at the foot of the cross? Coming up, more with uh, the author of this great work, Critical Dilemma, Dr. Patrick Sawyer. Need a wake-up call? We can help with that. You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings. We've got with us Dr. Patrick Sawyer. He's the author, co-author of Critical Dilemma, The Rise of Critical Theories and Social Justice Ideology, Implications for the Church and Society. So in layman's terms, we look back and we've seen injustices. We've seen racism. We've seen homosexuals that have been mocked and teased rather than loved or helped even discipled with regard to their sexuality. And so in the church, you're proposing, Patrick, that we pendulum swung to some degree and it's actually working against the gospel, not for it. Is that fair? Well, I, I, w- I would say that the reality of the injustices that you're talking about, absolutely, if, if a, a 
14-year-old uh, gay teenagers being bullied at school, that is obviously evil, sinful, and we need to be concerned about that kind of injustice. When we think of slavery and Jim Crow, a, a massive percentage, a high percentage of our nation's informal and formal history, those things are great concerns, and there are implications for those kinds of injustice that are applicable today. And to your question, I think the church needs to deal with those things head on. Certainly we need to preach the gospel and recognize that the gospel does bring true unity. Actually, it, it really, in fact, does. But the the phrase, just preach the gospel, can get weaponized. Yes. And it can almost act like a colorblind ideological perspective. It kind of washes out the concerns and is offered as this kind of panacea without really dealing with the issues that are plaguing us today relative to oppressive homophobic perspective or racism. So we suggest that, yes, of course, we need to be preaching the gospel and we need to have that dead center. At the same time, just like a, a at the same time, we need to deal with the injustices at hand. For instance, abortion and being pro-life is very easy for the evangelical church. Well, historically, it hasn't had any problem with, yes, we're going to preach the gospel, but we're also going to do activism and action towards uh, the pro-life cause. And so we can do that with issues around racism, and we can do that in terms of, of loving the gay community in a proper way. Again, keeping God's sexual ethics in view, recognizing that homosexuality is a sin and that it needs to be dealt with, that there's a better pathway in terms of God's sexual ethics. But we do need to talk about those things. And our book, Allie and Carl, really gets into expansive and pervasive dialogue, that we have got to do that as the body of Christ because our brothers and sisters are hurting because of some of these dynamics, and we as a collective church need to be having dialogue about them and loving each other in the context of gospel-centered dialogue. Dr. Patrick Sawyer, our guest right now, author of Critical Dilemma. Uh, we hear the word inclusive uh, being used a lot. We want to have inclusive spaces. We want to aim for inclusivity. Uh, what do you mean by the statement that the Bible teaches inclusive exclusivity? Well, okay, so the... The, the Bible is inclusive in the, in the sense that uh, Jesus says, come unto me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's a sense in which, you know, the Bible's telling us that God commands all men everywhere to repent. You know, for God so loved the whole world, that, that is the approach of the gospel. So there's a sense in which it is inclusive, and it's also a sense in which we're all guilty before God. We're all sinners. We're all in need of redemption. We're all in need of grace. And so there's this notion that the gospel is open to all. The Bible is speaking to everyone on the planet, so it is inclusive. Yet it is also exclusive in the sense that those who are actually born again, those who are actually born of the Spirit of God, where Christ is their Savior and actually their Lord, uh, those are people who are Christians. Jesus said in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there's an exclusive pathway to salvation and to being rightly oriented to the true God of the universe. So both those things are operative, you know, some inclusiveness and some exclusivity. Okay, I'm going to give you, I'm going to test this here. So I'm, let me give you a scenario. I pastor a church with 20 languages spoken, 21 languages spoken wow. in our church. Uh -huh. Yeah. We're in we're in wow. the South Loop in Chicago. 
we got a new campus that's going to be much less languages spoken, Allie, but we are in the South Loop right now. But here's, and, and I know that we have people coming to the church that struggle with sexual identity. There is so much to the whole counsel of God. There are so many basics. We've got biblical illiteracy. How is a pastor to shepherd a church in a way that doesn't say, let's just all meet at the foot of the cross now, overlooking past racial injustice, Jim Crow slavery, current sexual, or more recent sexual injustice, homophobia and the like. How do we tackle those? Do you do that as a as a, a, a mini series, do you look at narratives where there were people grafted into the nation of Israel? What do you do? How do you tackle this thing? Well, that, that's a that's a big question. I think in the context of that level of multiculturalism, and then also it sounds like that you've got people attending the church that that maybe are very new to the Christian faith or very new to what the Christian faith may demand in terms of. Uh, the lordship of Christ and moral perspective. I think that what you've got to do is kind of have kind of a, a shotgun approach, a scattershot approach where you're trying to do many things at once. I think you certainly have got to protect the pulpit ministry for exegetical preaching, that you're going line by line, verse by verse through the Bible, that you might have periods of time where you're doing some topical things, but you're really uh, exegeting the scriptures from start to finish to protect that pulpit ministry, but then at the same time have classes for cultural apologetics where you're dealing with actual apologetics, speaking to the cultural issues of the day and, and layering on biblical application to the cultural issues of the day. And part of that will mean, Carl, that some of the things that you're talking about, the racism, issues around uh, sexuality, it's issues around transit ideology, all this will come to the forefront relative to that cultural apologetics. And it sounds like you ought to be setting aside specific times during the week, you know, training sessions or instructional sessions or, or you know, separate uh, times where you're meeting as a church during the week to have these seminars, these classes, this instruction. I also think that biblical literacy, like you mentioned, is something that is plaguing our churches. So there needs to be a doubling down and a tripling down on sound doctrine. Because we got to remember that cultural positions are downstream from theological positions, and political positions are downstream from cultural issues. So we've got to get those theological Amen. issues strongly in place, and then uh, the rest will follow. Dr. Patrick Sawyer, author of Critical Dilemma. I want to land it here. I, it, there's a, a growing sense of people feel there's anger. There is a feeling of... Um, great division. What do you say to the Christ follower who wants to get it right on this, but is maybe stuck in anger, feels like we're losing our country or these things are coming at, and feels that sense of anger and doesn't really know where to land it? What do you say to the person who wants to get it right, but is maybe stuck? Yeah, that's a great question, Allie. I think that we've got to really mortify our anger. We've got to recognize that there are things in culture that are terrible, that are against God, that are really pressing, uh, culture pressing society. Some of these have cultural and political uh, tinges to them. And of course, uh, it it is a, a real Christian concerned about God's ethics can be frustrated with what's taking place in society, no doubt. And so I appreciate some of that anger and some of that 
pushback that people can feel. But we've got to make sure that our anger is only righteous anger, and then that's going to be rare. We've got to keep in mind God's commands around uh, how we are to communicate with each other. We're to speak the truth in love, all our words to be full of grace, seasoned with salt. We've got to remember that we're going to be held accountable for every careless word that is spoken. The man of God is not quarrelsome. So we've got to figure out how to come together, not as only as a body of Christ, but I've got to be salt and light in my culture and in society. I've got to remember as I'm approaching that and doing that, that a soft answer turns away wrath. So I've got to go to the problems, yes, deal with them head on, but try to come at them not with a defensive posture, prayed up, so to speak, prayerfully mindful about the engagement that I'm going to do, and then also recognize that I don't need to be involved in hit-and-run cultural evangelism where I just hit something and then I run away. I need to be committed to the long term, you know, to the marathon, and that the the winning the moment might not happen immediately. And then finally I would say we want to win people, not just the argument. Yes. We don't want to just win the argument. we got to Amen. win people. And if we win the argument and we lose people, well, what did we gain? Yeah. Nothing really for the kingdom of Christ. So we've got to be committed to winning people. And that will that will mean pleading with people in tears. I, I've got a, a, a colleague who is gay, and we have had a lot of conversations around homosexuality and heteronormativity and so forth. And I've sat in his car and pleaded with him, look, Christ is a better pathway. God's sexual ethic is really better for your thriving and your flourishing and for the safety and the in, the uh, enjoyment of your soul issues. And, and there's a sense in which we've got to do that with tears, pleading with you know the world to come to Christ in the context of these topics that we're talking about. I love it. I think you've given me hope that we can broach what has been incredibly polarized. And, you know, I'm also given hope by this. The Apostle Paul said there's no Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, woman nor man. We're all one in Christ. So it's not like the scripture when you're exegeting it doesn't speak to this issue as well, Patrick. That's exactly right. That's right. Yeah. Good stuff. I got to tell you, I think the, the coolest thing about Patrick Sawyer here, Dr. Patrick Sawyer, co-author of this book, Critical Dilemma, is I hear a spirit of humility through this thing from beginning to end. And I love you for it, bro. Thank you. Boom Crew. You're very kind. I'm the worst sinner I know. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus has been very gentle with me. You got to get in line behind me, man. Get in line behind me. (laughs) If you want more, go to criticaldilemma.com, the website. You can get the details, criticaldilemma.com. Discipleship to start your day. You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings. We're tackling a whole week on Dilemmas Boom Crew. And, you know, this is tough to talk about. But if you never talk about it, we can never see recovery in these areas that we're facing in our culture, in our homes, in our lives. And manhood is one thing that we're suffering from today in a big way. We've got a special guest with us who's got a real interest in this. He's married. He's got three daughters. It's Junior Ziegler. He's also a teaching pastor. He's written The Manual, A Practical Guide to Manhood. I guess I worded that wrong, Junior. We're not suffering from manhood. We're suffering from a lack of understanding what biblical manhood is. Is that a problem we're facing, Junior? Absolutely. I mean, like you said, we're facing this dilemma of living in this confused and frustrated world and the family units deteriorating. And I don't mean to sound doom and gloom, but we have not, we haven't hit a point of no return. Like if we can clarify what manhood is, 
Coleman to step up, raise families. You know, if, if I can raise my daughters to know what to look for in a man, if we can celebrate true, courageous manhood and raise the bar in manhood, I think that terrifies those who are pushing agendas right now. Amen. We fear, hear a lot the term toxic masculinity, uh, this sort of macho, um, I have to be in control kind of masculinity that has uh, drawn the ire of many. What do you think about the term? We'll start there. What do you think about that term? <laughs> I think it's an oxymoron because true manhood is just not toxic. Mm. I think lack of manhood or lack of masculinity is, is really what toxic masculinity is. It's just not masculinity at all. Manhood's gotten a bad rap, Junior, and here's the weird thing. Whenever we talk about it here, Allie, you know this to be true. Whenever I go on a riff on chivalry isn't dead, guess what? The women go crazy, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, they're like, true. come on. Real, women, especially Godward women, they want men to be men, Junior. What do you say to that? Yeah, yes, yeah. I mean, in fact, since I've written this book, The Manual, I've had more women reach out just saying, Hey, thank you. I, I understand the boys in my classroom a little bit better. I understand the sons that I'm raising just uh, just a little bit little bit better. I've, it's been really cool just the response that I've gotten from women after writing this book that women are saying, yes, let's go, let's do this. What is this practical guide? What are you introducing that men need to hear? We've lost as a society the definition of provision. And it's interesting in First in Timothy 5.8, Paul writes that if a man does not provide for his household, he's worse off than an unbeliever, yep. which is a really harsh verse. Harsh. And today we read that and we think, oh, okay, so like I got to provide money then, you know, bread on the table. But that's just a piece of the pie. Paul's not just telling guys to pay child support. The bar is far higher. A man is to provide vision for the home. In fact, research shows that a man gets a dopamine kick from casting vision, that God created man to do that. Men are to provide discipline and, and culture, but we've reduced the word provision to just mean financial, and we've lost what manhood is in that reduction. Coming up here in just a moment, we're going to break it down. I know you're listening, Boom Crew, going, now, who is this guy and where's he been? Junior Ziegler, he is a lead teaching pastor at the Bridge Community Church in Des Plaines and other campuses. And I, I got to tell you, Boom Crew, let me put a stamp of approval on this guy. This guy lives what he's preaching big time. So coming up, Junior Ziegler, more from his brand new book, The Manual, A Practical Guide to Manhood. And we're going to give you a link where you can grab a copy as well. Hang on. Don't just keep it to yourself. Give what you've heard to a friend with the Carlin Crew Showcast. Just go to carlincrew.org. All right, Junior, you cut it loose, man. You gave us kind of an overview of biblical manhood and why provision is so important. What are some of the subplots of real biblical manhood? Well, first off, real biblical manhood starts with leading yourself. I think scripture speaks to that so often, that men are to first lead themselves. Nobody's going to follow your leadership if you can't, first off, lead yourself. And so we dive into what does it look like for your body to be a, a temple and leading yourself physically, leading yourself mentally. Men are uh, statistically the worst at reading books, which is, <laughs> I guess, kind of an error on my part. I wrote a book to a gender that doesn't read much. <laughs> <laughs> but we need to, and there's a lot that's to be right. gained from it. Absolutely. And so really that's where biblical manhood starts is let's first lead ourselves. Let's, let's be intellectual monsters. Let's lead ourselves physically before we look around and expect to lead anybody else. You know, Junior, we think about the many people who grew up without a 
dad uh, for any number of reasons. There was not a, a positive male figure that they can look to. Uh, what do you say to men who feel like I gave it my best shot? I didn't know any better. And, and that's tough when there's when there's a lot of regret. I mean, thankfully, we have we have Jesus Christ, our big brother, who we get to look to. Uh, first off, he's the one who led the way, really, in what true manhood looks like and and how to follow, you know, in that footsteps of being a, a true man. But also Jesus went to the cross. And so uh, we have, you know, we look back on, on our lives and a lot of regret as far as I wish I did things differently as, as being a man or, or raising men. But the cross means that uh, we, we get to do over and we get to start. We get to start fresh today. Speaking of fresh, what's the fresh thing God's doing in your life, Junior? I've been so blessed. I have three daughters in my house and a wife, and um, God's just been teaching me lately that being a man is so important for having a home full of women and a wife and three daughters and them looking to uh, my leadership and really, you know, just having confidence. I I read an article uh, a couple weeks ago that girls being raised by men, they're far more confident when the man of the house is is a confident man and so god's just been teaching me what does it look like to lead graciously in mercy and in grace but also in confidence and that can be a tough tension sometimes but it's beautiful when you find that rhythm that's beautiful junior i love you man i'm proud of you this is a great work and boom crew i want you to get your hands on this and men i'm calling all men right now this is a book to be read and to be lived out and you can do it by the grace and power of God. Actually, the power of the Holy Spirit. You can live it out. It's called The Manual, A Practical Guide to Manhood. And we got a keyword for you right now. Just text the word manhood. Put it all together. Crunch it together. Manhood to 312-274-9624. Manhood to 312-274-9624. Giving hope directly from the source. We're Carl and Crew Mornings. It's important for us to understand that life is short and knowing and being known is one of the greatest gifts that we can give. I've never been, I think I was always such a type A personality that forgot to get my attention up in Alaska at a, at a lecture held by Dan Allender who wrote the book Wounded Heart. By the way, if you are a woman that is suffering from sexual abuse, um, you've gone through any kind of abuse, Wounded Heart is an amazing book. Amazing book by Dan Allender. But he led this lecture slash symposium slash clinic where we needed to walk out and work out hearing each other's stories at a deep, deep level. It's amazing. When you begin to know things about people that you didn't know. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. And in this world that we live in, we have a lot of cultural divide. And oftentimes it's because we haven't taken the time to understand things that we didn't know. It's that simple. Yeah. And we can land on uh, positions where we've decided it's either black or white and no gray area possible, no nuance. And, and we cling to sometimes a position, but have we really considered the full story, someone's actual story? That's it. Game, set, match. It's over. I know everything. But what if we don't?
Hey, this is Carl with Carl and Crew, and I'm so grateful that you listened to this showcast. Thank you mostly for being part of the Boom Crew as we help you take your next step with Jesus. You're a huge encouragement to us. We'll be here again live every weekday morning from 5 to 9 a.m. Godspeed.